And I want to open up this morning by reading to you a scripture out of 1 Peter 5, verses 6, 5 and 6. And then later on, we're going to land in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Would you say that? Due time? Due time. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the in the meantime in Scripture. And the Scripture says he will lift you up in due time. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day and the opportunity to come and worship you in freedom and to give you our hearts and pour out our hearts to you. We love you and we worship you. And we thank you for how amazing and good you are as a God to us. Right now we open up our hearts to hear your word and say, Lord, speak to us. You're so good. It's speaking to every one of us individually. And I thank you that you'll do that through your word today. And Lord, I ask for the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit. God, my desire is to see what's in your heart imparted today. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this scripture and in this series that we're talking about, David, in the meantime, many times we can read the Bible, and the Bible can almost be like scrolling through social media. It's like highlight after highlight after highlight. But there's not always an obviousness about some of the breaks that happen in Scripture, some of the time that happens between significant events. And that time that happens in between significant events is what we're calling the the in-the-meantime place. It's that day-to-day place. It can sometimes even be a mundane place, not necessarily worthy of an Instagram or Facebook post. And... The thing that we find, though, is that a lot of what is in us is actually formed in those day-to-day moments. Those day-to-day moments, those day-to-day decisions that we make prepare us for those significant events, the significant opportunities, those crossroads in our lives. And what we're looking at in David's life is we're looking at these in-the-meantime spaces where who David is is actually developed. Last week, we looked at David, who's an Old Testament uh, person. Uh, He became just the second king of Israel. His first job was that of a shepherd. And we looked at how his job as a shepherd um, really formed something in David. It might have seemed like a mundane job. He had seven older brothers, and he was the one tasked with this job of shepherding the sheep. And we found how there kept being ties in Scripture to significant events in David's life that shepherding had prepared him for. One of them we saw was David with Goliath. And when he's facing King Saul and he's saying, I'll take on the, on the uh, giant. He says, no, this guy's been a warrior from his youth and you know, you're but a boy. And he says, listen, I've been taking care of my daddy's sheep. He said, Daddy, I'm sure. I've been taking care of my daddy's sheep, and when the lion and when the bear came, I, I took care of them. I took them out, and this Philistine will be the same way. His shepherding prepared him for the giant, right? And then we also looked at how uh, they described him in Psalms as a shepherd of God's people. The actual way that he was a king, the manner in which he led, God used his shepherding experience to make him a skillful king. And then we talked about how God then turned the table around and he used the shepherding role that David grew up under to actually reveal himself. 
God revealed himself. And we see in Psalm 23 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And this beautiful revelation of who God is. And this week we're going to look into another in the meantime place in David's life. And we know that David became the second king of Israel. The first king was a guy named Saul. And Saul was a disobedient king and he did not honor God. And so the Lord was going to take the kingdom away from Saul at some point. And, and God told him through the prophet that it's going to be taken away from you. Meanwhile, Samuel, the prophet, was told to go to Jesse's home. Jesse is the father of David. And he says, listen, I want you to go there, and I want you to anoint who will become the next king. Now, that word anoint, what that means is in Scripture, it literally meant that they would take oil and they would pour it out on the person who was being anointed. But what it represented was it represented the Holy Spirit being poured out on somebody's life. It was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the enablement of the Holy Spirit to do what God had called them to do. So so Samuel is on his way to Jesse's house to anoint the next king with the empowerment of the Spirit to become the king. And we see this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. And it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now, I'm going to pause right there. We saw Eliab in last week's service. If you missed it, you can check out the podcast. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse, so David's oldest brother. And you might remember that when David came to the battlefront where Goliath was and the Philistines were facing off, Eliab wanted David to get lost. He's like, you have an evil and wicked heart, and you're just here to watch the battle. And he's basically saying, why don't you just go home, little boy, to those few sheep that you're shepherding. You remember that guy? He accused David of having a wicked heart. This is about to get really ironic. Samuel's looking at Eliab, and it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's an amazing scripture. It's ironic that Eliab accused David of a wicked heart. And Samuel's looking at Eliab going, well, surely this is the guy. And the Lord says, no, I can see beneath the skin. And I know this guy's heart needs to be fixed. He's not my next king. This this principle, though, is really powerful for us. You know, we live in a world that does emphasize the external. External appearance, how you look, how you talk. I find this very encouraging that what God wants, what he desires, is the heart. That should take some pressure off of us to know that what he's really after is your heart. Now, for some of us that can be intimidated, you go, you know what, my heart isn't good and my heart needs work. But you know what's great is, Our God can transform hearts and move hearts and that kind of thing. It's not to intimidate us. It's so that we'll open up and say, God, come on in. Like David says in Psalm 139, search me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Just inviting God into his heart. Going on to verse 11. So he asked, this is uh, Samuel, he asked Jesse, the father, are these the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. We saw the significance of that last week. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He 
He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. He looked just like Pastor Chris. <laughs> Don't laugh. It's <laughs> plain. We used to do that with Adam when he was here, but now he's at school, so you're the next man standing. I find it interesting that it said that God does not look at the outward appearance, and David had all of these outward things that were great. Isn't that interesting? But isn't it cool that God points out that that's not what God values? What he values is what's on the inside. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So you see here the natural pouring out of oil. And you see the spiritual significance of the Holy Spirit being poured out on David's life. It's important for us to understand at this point, David has been anointed to be king. He has the Holy Spirit working in his life and empowering him for the role of king, but he is not yet the king. You following me? Isn't it interesting that God will empower us before we actually walk in it? We're going to come back to that later. There's a reason why he will empower you and gift you before the moment of its fruition, right? It's it's coming to to pass, right? Up to this point, David's life is kind of storybook, right? He's like from obscurity. He's like zero to hero. Like, you know, you're out there taking care of the sheep and now you're anointed. Like, like things are going really well, right? And it's going to continue this way for a little bit for David. Um, what happens is we saw the Holy Spirit come on David. Well, the Holy Spirit had actually departed King Saul because of his disobedience. And now Saul is being harassed by an evil spirit and uh, he can't sleep at night. And so looking for an answer, one of Saul's servants says, hey, I know about this guy, David. And he goes, he's got a fine appearance, and he plays the liar, and he's a great warrior. You know, he's like, this guy's amazing. And Saul's like, bring him here. Brings him here. David plays for him. This evil spirit departs, which is kind of fascinating that David, who we we know now, has written so many of the Psalms that are in Scripture And so, you know, when he's playing for Saul, the king, he's worshiping. And what drives the enemy away? That kind of worship and honor for God. And, you know, there's a reality that evil spirits will buffet and harass people. And if that happens in your life, whether it's through dreams or through thoughts or through other kinds of things, you need to know that you can be free from it. There is a scripture in James, it says, Submit yourself to God, come under his authority, resist the enemy, he must flee. And so, you know, if you're struggling and you feel like you're being buffeted, you need to reach out to somebody you trust and have them pray with you and stand with you because Jesus should have the authority over your life and the enemy is not allowed to torment you that way. Amen? Well, David is so successful as a uh, playing for him that Saul brings him into his service as an armor bearer. And, you know, it's amazing. I mean, David is, you know, as far as chapters of the Bible go, this is great. He's anointed king. He's brought to be the king. He's brought into Saul's service and he's an armor bearer. Like this is a hallmark story. It's beautiful, but it's about to get turned into a lifetime story. 
you know, if you've never watched the difference, Hallmark stories, like if you just want that feel good, you know, you just want to watch something and you just have butterflies and you know good things are still going to happen, even though there's some so, supposed drama, you know, watch a Hallmark movie. I, I only watch them at Christmas with my wife. It's like a love language. I just love her and watch Hallmark movies. The rest of the year, I can't do it, right? They're just a little too, you know. But then you have this other extreme where you have the Lifetime movie. Now, with a Lifetime movie, you need a pad of paper because you got to like start. OK, that's the aunt's brother's sister's. Oh, then that's her father, too. And like, it's just like, what happened here? I mean, Lifetime movies are they're jacked up. I mean, they're messed up. This Hallmark movie in David's life of just, oh, everything's going fine is about to turn in to a Lifetime movie, unfortunately. King Saul began sending David out to war. And David was really successful. Saul gave him a real high rank in the army. And um, it was, unfortunately though, it was the song that was sung about them that would reveal some really dark things in King Saul's heart. Here's how it goes. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, it says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs in timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, so far, Hallmark movie. And then they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? He's actually prophesying to himself because David will become the king of the kingdom. And from that time on, Saul kept his, a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in the house, and while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, if I pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. What a turn in this story. Now, King Saul is trying to kill who will be his successor. And David would live on the run from Saul for years and years and years and years. As a matter of fact, from the time that David was anointed to be the king to the time when he would become the king, 15 years would pass. That's a long season to live in a contradiction. It's a long season to live mostly on the run. And, you know, the challenge is this story, it, it, it could have been so different. Saul is the king. He should have recognized the gift in David and wanted to elevate him and wanted to, you know, help develop him and help him see him come into what God has for him. But instead, Saul's own insecurity and Saul's jealousy. He turned on David. It's, a, it's really a good lesson for us who have authority and who have um, power that we use in our lives. 
Because power and authority should not be used to push people away or to keep them in their place, but it should be used to develop and to encourage and to let people flourish. A a good friend of mine, he he likes to use this phrase when he's talking about churches and leaders. He's like, all boats rise in the tide. Really, Saul's stock would have gone up if he would have just allowed David to continue to come up as well. But it was an insecurity and it was a jealousy. And instead of protecting David, he was actually trying to kill David. What a contradiction for David to live in. But insecurity will cause people to use power in really terrible ways. The, real, the reality is power and authority should be used to serve and not to oppress. should be used to nurture, not dismantle. And Saul was getting it all wrong. So David is living in this paradox. Can you, can you imagine? He's anointed to be king, and the king is trying to kill him. I can't imagine what that would be like, what that would feel like. And yet we learn so much about David because David developed Something developed inside of David in those 15 years that we can really learn from and that um, I want to share with you. I'm just going to share with you three things that we learned from David in his response to living in obscurity, his response to being persecuted by a leader, his response to living on the run when he knew he was destined to be the king of Israel. First thing we we learn is that is to love those who persecute you. And to know who the real enemy was. In David's context, the real enemy was the Philistines and those who warred against, who warred against the, uh, the kingdom of God. In our context, the enemy is the devil, demonic forces. The enemy is not your boss. The enemy is not a political leader. The enemy is not any of those people in your life. As a matter of fact, they are the mission. And many times when we feel persecuted or we feel mistreated or we feel that something has been done wrong, and many times people do these you know, things that are absolutely wrong, our, our defensive posture is that we want to throw spears back. We want to take them out. We want them to get theirs. And God is trying to get us to repent and recognize that they are the mission. They are not our enemy. David, his king. Now, if anyone is treating him like an enemy, it's David. I mean, it's Saul. Saul is throwing spears at David. And David is quite literally turning the other cheek. Now, when it was time for the Philistines, David did not turn the other cheek. I mean, he, he took him out. But when it came to the, in this context, he knew that this was not his realm of authority and he was not going to take him out. Who, who doesn't like you? Who is it in your life that doesn't treat you with respect or maybe even um, has mistreated you or tried to be harsh on you? And how, how are you responding? What's going on in your heart? Now, y'all, this is not easy. And this is not something that we can just like in our own minds and our own hearts go, well, I'm just going to make a decision to like them. Like it doesn't work like that. You need Jesus in your life 
to be able to desire good for those who want to hurt you. You need something godly working inside of your life because it is an unnatural thing for us to do in our broken humanity. But God wants to transform something in us. Now, I'm not saying that you should put yourself in a place where you're abused and continue to be abused or hurt and those kind of things. God is not for that. I'm talking about your heart towards those who would not treat you well. And David is unbelievable in this circumstance, in how he handles Saul. He knows who his real enemy is, and his enemy is not Saul. Even though Saul has decided to make David his enemy. The second thing we learn from David's life in the meantime, in this place of obscurity, this place of living in contradiction, is David learns to honor authority. David was anointed to be the king, and yet he honored the existing king. It it was a very, very bad king, and yet David honored and respected him. How do you do that? How is that even possible? Let me I want to lay down another scripture for us to let this truth go a little bit deeper. In Romans 13, which is in the New Testament, in verse 1, and then I'm going to skip to verse 7, it talks about honoring. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This scripture, to really get a hold of it, we, we, I want to tell you what the context is. This is a New Testament scripture written to the believers in Rome who were absolutely persecuted by the Roman government. As a matter of fact, there was a point in that, in that history where a guy named Nero would actually burn Christians as candles at night to light the city air. I mean, just dark terrible things and and these scriptures are being written to these christians to live at peace among these authorities these authorities were not for them they were against them and it's saying to give honor now talk about loving your enemy i mean this is really really powerful but you see we got to catch this honor we often think of it as something that is earned and then we pay it But that's not how it works. Honor is good for the one who gives it. It's good for your heart. And what Scripture is showing us is that God wants us to honor authority. And it goes further than that. You can look in the book of James and it says, How can you um, praise God with your mouth and then with your same tongue curse God? Other, your, other people who are made in the image of God. And it's basically laying down this like theological thing that because people are made in the image of God, everyone deserves to be shown respect. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? So we can think about respect and giving respect to a person just like we think about love. It's a gift that you didn't earn, and I'm going to honor and I'm going to be respectful towards you. 
Now, some of us are very justice motivated. And so right now you're going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And you're thinking, but, but what about justice? Here's the thing. God is just. Very just. He's so just that he would put the sin of humanity on Jesus and let him die a death on the cross for all of our sins. That's how just he is. And if we receive the gift that he's given us, we can have eternal life. And if we don't receive the gift, we will receive a justice that we don't want, being apart from God for, for eternity and the consequence of hell. God is just. But here's the thing. You do not want to take on the role of being judge. It's above our pay grade. Roman says that our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, trying to appeal to people to be reconciled to God. And so God is just, the universe is in order, everything is right, his love and his grace and his mercy has sent his only son to die on the cross so that we can be free from sin and to follow him. He is very, very just, but he's called us to love our enemies because God is more patient than we are not wanting people to perish. When everybody gets in the right spot, all of a sudden the lines begin to make more sense. And when it says in Romans, respect your authorities, and it doesn't qualify it, the good authorities, the bad authorities, it's just saying show respect. And I, I think for a lot of us, and I, just as a little aside, we can get so angry in the political realm. And anger oftentimes is a way of trying to control something that you don't feel under control with. And I'm not saying that right and wrong things don't happen. I'm just saying don't let it control you. Don't let it control your emotional wellness. Don't let it control your emotions. What Scripture calls us to do is to pray for authorities, to pray for them. So whether you agree with that people in power or don't agree with power, pray for our police and pray for our supervisors, pray for the Senate and pray for the, the president, whoever your president is or not is, pray for them. One of the things I love to pray is that God will put people around our leaders with sound judgment and sound advice. Because a lot of times when you come to power, people tell you what you want to hear. They don't always tell you what you need to hear. So I pray those ways, and I pray that the, that the work and that they do will benefit people around them. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, God holds the hearts of kings in his hand, and he directs it as a water course as it pleases him. Did you know that we can pray for God's will to be done through any leader? We can pray that he will work because he can hold the hearts of kings in his hand. This revelation of honoring authority was so deep in David. Now, y'all got to remember this. Saul is throwing spears at David. The Holy Spirit has been withdrawn from Saul's life. I mean, if I'm making a case for why I don't need to respect this guy, I can make a case. And yet David has this sincere respect towards, towards Saul that he won't violate, even though Saul's trying to kill him. The third thing we learn from David is to let God, to let God. He, instead of taking things in his own hands, matters in his own hands, David sincerely believed that it's God who puts kings in and it's God who removes him and he was not going to take matters into his own hands. And David had so many opportunities to take Saul out. 
Saul is chasing David, throws a spear. I don't know if you all ever thought about it when you read the, if you've read the story. Just take the spear and throw it back. Y'all, David was the boss. I mean, he killed a lion and a bear and Goliath. I mean, I think he can handle King Saul. He can handle a weapon. And yet he doesn't. And there's a book uh, I read years ago. It's kind of a poetic book about the relationship between David and Saul and David and, and um, his son Absalom. And in this story, it talks about, like in poetry, saying, you know, Saul throws this spear at him and David, it says, but why doesn't David take the spear and throw it back at Saul? And it says, because if he had, he would have become a king in the order of Saul. He would have become what he didn't want to be if he had thrown it back. That's exactly the definition of meekness. Meekness is when you have authority, but you use it, or you have power, but you use it in a measured sense and appropriately. And David would not take out Saul, even though he could. There's a couple other situations in Scripture where this happens. There's one in 1 Samuel 24 where Saul is hunting down David. He's got 3,000 men. He's on his way to go kill David. And in chapter 24, verse 3, it says, He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. That means exactly what you think it means. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken. And having cut off the corner of his robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him. For he is the, the, the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. You all see this picture, right? David and his men are in the cave. Saul comes in to use the restroom. And the guys are like, God himself has delivered Saul to you. That's using the word of the Lord the wrong way. And he's like, now's your chance. Do it. Take him out. Now's your chance. Go, go um, you know, undermine your boss. Go talk behind his back. Now's the chance. Now go, you know, uh, disrupt this situation. You know, now's your chance. Now's your chance. And David, he goes up there and he cuts off the corner of his robe and he feels terrible. And I'm like, whoa. What a level of respect. He rebukes this man. He actually, in the story, he goes out to Saul and he says, listen, I'm so, I shouldn't have done this. And I, I, I obviously could have killed you. And Saul is overwhelmed and he's like, you are a better man than I am. And Saul basically walks away from the situation and then later tries to pursue him again. Another situation, just very similar, David and his men come up and they find Saul and his army sleeping. And David, one of his uh, right-hand men, if you will, Abishai says this. Abishai said to David in 1 Samuel 28, 26.8, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of a spear. I won't strike him twice. Can you imagine in that moment, all David had to do was go, 
Just give the nod. Just the all, a wink, thumbs up, yes, anything. And the man who is pursuing him and trying to abuse him and trying to kill him would have been taken out. You could say, it wasn't me, it was Abishai. And yet, he doesn't do this. Is there, is there an area in your life where you're attempting to take matters into your own hands? Where you're trying to make something happen instead of letting God work? It takes real wisdom because there are times when we are supposed to act. But David is working in a realm where he recognizes it's above my pay grade to take kings out of, out of their spot. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm not called to undermine an authority. I'm called to respect and honor an authority. And if he can do that, being pursued, golly, there's a lot of things we can handle better than we do. There's a sincerity about it. As a matter of fact, when when Saul dies, David is sad about it. I mean, I might have gone in the tent and did a little, yes, finally, you know, something. But... Saul is actually sad about it. I mean, David is actually sad about it. This, in the, in the meantime place, it's hard to underestimate how formative it was in David. David's anointed to be the king. It seems like he's on this meteoric rise. Zero to hero. And yet, the bottom falls out of it. I think a lot of times in our lives, we have dreams and we have visions and we have things in our hearts that God has placed there. Giftings and callings and thing, ministries and things that, of ways of serving God. And the thing is, he'll anoint us. He'll give us the empowerment of his Holy Spirit to do it. We, we oftentimes think in terms of, okay, this happened today, then tomorrow I step into it. And the reality is, there's often a time of development and incubation and working. The whole time David's on the run, he's gathering these mighty men who are men who are uh, unbelievable warriors. He, tra- he, he makes them into awesome warriors, and yet they were all outcast. And David is serving the least of these and learning how to lead men and train men, and all of these things are going on. And he's looking at it, probably thinking, I am living in this paradox. I am living in obscurity. I am living in the contradiction of everything that's been spoken over me. And God's looking at it going, you're in college right now. You are in my university right now. You are being trained and formed and developed right now. I think sometimes when we, uh, with, with our young people and young adults, we, we have this desire for them to have uh, great Visions and hopes about what God has called them to do. And I think it's right on target. Right on, because they should. There's something about that season of life. You see things more black and white, and you have an idealistic view of life in front of you. And I think God wants to give us those hopes and dreams. But the thing we need to know is that God doesn't give those to us to demoralize us. He doesn't give us those to disillusion us. He gives us those so that we can have a direction and a gate in life. But there's a process in which he works. There's a process where he's working inside of us. It feels like a contradiction, and yet it's actually his preparation. We can't despise the preparation because he's actually forming us. 
We often think in terms of, you know, a, a life of doing such and such. And you, you look at Jesus' life, 30 years, and you know, we're talking about perfection here, right? 30 years, starts his ministry, three years later he's on the cross. Three years. He changed the world in three years. It didn't take long. We look at Moses. Moses started at 80. We look at so, you know, so many people's lives. We look at David and you know, most of his training is being a shepherd. And now his training is being on the run. We look at Joseph. His training was being a slave and then being in prison and all of these situations. And we look at it and we read it as a story from chapter to chapter. And we can read it in just a few moments. But it was their lifetime. The in the meantime place really exists in our lives. And recognizing that in that meantime, in that place, our relationship with God and our encounter with God and how we interact with him is actually forming who we are so that when we come to those crossroads and we come to those opportunities, we have a response that has been developed in us. The warning is we can't allow the obscurity. We can't allow the contradiction. We can't allow the paradox of it all. To just cause us to lay things down and go, eh, I guess I was wrong. I guess, and just leave it. There's something being developed in us that's really good. What I love is that he empowers us with his Holy Spirit early. So that we are useful and helpful. David was actually being a king long before he became king. He just didn't have the title, and it really didn't look like it. But when you really look at the way he handled himself, the way he handled authority, the way that he developed his mighty men, the way that he did all of those things, David was being a king long before he became king. Here's the other part that's wild. The moment David becomes king, he becomes king over Judah, which is the lower um, part of, of the physical Israel. It would be, there would be a civil war and it would be five or seven years later that he'd become king of all of Israel and Judea. So even then, he had to wait longer. This waiting is not meant to demoralize and it's not meant to disillusion. But in the midst of it, what is being formed in us is so important. Let it be something really beautiful that God can be proud of. This story, this hallmark story, changed a lifetime story, could have been a lot worse. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. I do want to share, I kind of wanted to ask you to stand partially so we could end the recording. Um, I wanted to share one little other piece before I pray with you.